Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew 22. We'll look at the first 14 verses of that chapter. And the text is also there on the next page of the bulletin. Well, um, it's a pretty important question for you. What do you think God is like? What, uh, What do you think God is like? Why do you think what you think about that? What do you think the kingdom of heaven is like? What do you think relationship with God in this life is like? Do you have specific assumptions about these things? Where did you get your assumptions about these things? Why do you think about God the way you do? Why do you think about the kingdom of heaven the way you do? These are questions worth asking yourself, really wrestling through. Uh, Jesus was always teaching about the kingdom of God. You know, we're in a series in Matthew's gospel that sort of the subtitle for the series is uh, it's the kingdom of God, the king or the kingdom of God. Um, So Jesus is always teaching about the kingdom. Matthew says several times that Jesus's message could be called the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And the word kingdom shows up more than 50 times in Matthew's gospel. So very frequently, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, but also very frequently, he's teaching about the kingdom in parables. So these stories that have symbolic spiritual significance that tell us different aspects of what it's like to be in relationship with God. They tell us what God is like. Tell us what his kingdom is like. Tell us what relationship with him is like. So his teaching should shape our thinking about the kingdom. His teachings will radically and surprisingly reshape how we think about life with God. That's a good thing. Even though it's such a drastic reshaping a lot of the times, it's a good thing because Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's the only one who truly does. So you've got to pay attention to him. He knows the kingdom and he teaches about it with God's own authority because he wants us to know the kingdom. He wants us to live in it with him. So let me pray, then we'll read this parable of the kingdom. Father, we need a profound work done deep in our souls. Please do that work in us by your spirit as we consider your word together now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, 
Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Well, Jesus is telling this parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like to people who have persisted in their rejection of him. That's his main conversation partner in this section of Matthew's gospel. People who have persisted in their rejection of him. The religious leaders of Israel who thought they knew about the kingdom. Right? They had certain assumptions about what God was like. Certain assumptions about what life with God in his kingdom was like. In fact, they would have said they had a biblical understanding of the kingdom. And yet, they excluded Jesus from that, that kingdom, that understanding of that kingdom. So whatever he was, in their minds, he didn't fit. He didn't belong. So they wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted nothing to do with what he represented. They wanted nothing to do with what he taught. They were completely devoted to a certain view of the kingdom. They were set in their view of the kingdom. They were utterly invested in that version of the kingdom. And their whole reality, uh, the whole reality of Jesus was like nails on a chalkboard to them. So they were looking to be rid of him. And to have the kingdom on their own terms, according to their own understanding. So it'd be great if you could just ignore Jesus, but you can't, not really. They couldn't, so they actually had to do something about him. They were seeking for an opportunity to arrest him and get him out of the picture. They're still too afraid of the general population to move openly against Jesus. That's like the verses just prior to this say that. But their opposition to him becomes more and more overt now. So here Jesus issues one more clear, strong warning about the reality of their opposition to him, what it really means that they oppose him. What does it mean to think that you belong in God's kingdom while you persist in your rejection of Jesus, while you don't let his reality define your participation in the kingdom? Jesus tells us what the kingdom of heaven is really like. It's like this royal wedding feast the king gives for his son. So that is a singular occasion of the greatest joy. Can you imagine a greater celebration than that? A royal wedding feast. So just in our our lives, because usually we're not related to royalty or going to any wedding feasts that uh, any kings are putting on for their sons, Even so, there's still not much better in our lives than going to a wedding. Going to a wedding feast, it's a wonderful moment filled with meaning and beauty and music and good food and drink where everyone makes the best possible preparations according to their ability to celebrate love. Celebrate love together with the people who are most important to them in their lives. So it is an honor and it is a pleasure to be invited to a wedding. So imagine a royal wedding feast. Imagine the significance of that. I mean, this marriage doesn't just affect two people. It doesn't just affect a small community of people around them. It affects the entire kingdom and really the world. Imagine it in a culture where, you know, normally the wedding feast doesn't just last for one night. It goes on day after day for a week. 
Imagine the festal celebrations that a king could prepare according to his wealth. Imagine the extravagant beauty, the, the abundant bounty, the rare delights, the flowing wine, right? It would be a uniquely magnificent party. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So would you have expected that? Would you have expected Jesus to say something like that? That the kingdom of heaven is like this extravagant feast, this royal wedding feast? <clears throat> I, I, think, um, I think it's a surprise to think of the kingdom of heaven like that. Sinners don't assume such wonderful things about God or such wonderful things about life with God in his kingdom. Right? I think sinners assume that relationship with God is probably tedious and miserable and hard work. I think sinners have deep assumptions that God is more like a harsh taskmaster, right? That life in his kingdom is one where you're, you're made to know your place. Know your low place. If the king does have a royal wedding feast for his son, well, you'd never be invited because, you know, your everlasting joy is probably the last thing on God's mind. Aren't those our assumptions? Isn't that what sinners think? But Jesus knows, and he teaches with authority so that you will know. So, in fact, God has been teaching his people this same thing for thousands of years. In his kingdom, his presence has always been a festival presence. So Holly read it in our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy. At the appointed times, at least three times a year, the people are to come together and rejoice in their feast. And make every provision to rejoice together. Jesus says that he came for this purpose. He says this in John 15, that his joy may be in us. That our joy may be full. God is interested in our joy. And his kingdom is like a royal wedding feast to which you are invited. So can you imagine actually being on the guest list of a royal wedding feast? When you think of royal wedding feasts, you think probably, oh, you know, the, the king of England might someday put on a royal wedding feast. That's uh, in our minds. But boy, what would that be like to be invited to that on the guest list? But wait, there's more. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven isn't just like a royal wedding feast where everyone shows up and has a great time. In this parable, the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast they would not come. That's incredible. That's preposterous. Who would turn down such an invitation? Jesus is saying that's what his people have done in rejecting him. They probably don't realize it. They probably would never think about it in those terms or frame it this way. But Jesus lets them know that's what is really happening here. Refusing to heed the call of the prophets to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Refusing to come to him for a relationship with God refusing to enter the kingdom of heaven that he has opened to us is just like refusing to come to this majestic wedding feast. It makes no sense. The call to repentance is the call to joy, to, to eternal joy in God's festival presence. And anyone who understands that <clears throat> knows that it makes no sense to refuse an invitation like this. But wait, there's more. Again, the king sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. <clears throat> so when Jesus came into the world, bringing the kingdom of heaven with him, 
we could start to see the glorious preparations God has made for our joy. In Jesus, we see humanity being restored to a wholeness that we never knew was possible. In Jesus, we see the defeat of the oppressive powers of darkness, the devil himself. In Jesus, we see the provision of everything we need for life with God. In Jesus, we see love that casts out every fear of evil. In Jesus, we see a divine life that conquers even death. The king has given his best, and we've seen that it is good, that it is glorious. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. They just ignore the servants of the king when they come repeatedly to tell of the magnificent feast that awaits them in the presence of the king. The profound privilege of being invited to the royal wedding feast doesn't even register as worthy of their attention. They, they don't even pay attention. They are not living in reality. It's almost impossible to believe that anyone would simply ignore such an invitation. But wait, there's more. Some paid no attention while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Okay, so there's something deeply, disturbingly, shockingly wrong with these people. That's the point of what Jesus is saying here. It is completely, wildly inappropriate to respond this way when you are invited to a royal wedding feast. These people hate the king. These people utterly despise the honor that their good king would bestow on them. This is really a complete rejection of the kingdom, a violent rejection of the kingdom. Someone who acts this way cannot pretend that they belong in the kingdom. So whatever kingdom it is that they you know, might say they want does not at all align with the reality of the true king and his kingdom. Remember, Jesus is pointing out <clears throat> this is what people are doing his own people, when he comes to them, this is what they are doing when they reject him. <clears throat> the very religious people of his day were devoted to their view of the kingdom, invested in their version of the kingdom. They thought the kingdom of heaven belonged to them, that they were entitled to all its benefits. But here Jesus is saying, in reality, they are so opposed to the kingdom of heaven that it's like these psychopaths who kill the people who invited them to the royal wedding feast. This is how they are responding to the divine call to enter into cosmic joy. Clearly, these people would like to be left alone without any reminder that there's a true king over them. <clears throat> like I said before, they, you know, it'd be great if they could just ignore Jesus, but that's impossible. So they get violent and they go on the attack. That really happened. But that attack is the definition of futile. It says the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So when you first <clears throat> hear this parable, you might think, whoa, king, overreact much? You know, uh, no, this is the right and righteous response of the king. He's not just responding to people who didn't want to party and politely declined the invitation. Right? He's responding to those who have despised his kingdom who have violently rejected and killed his messengers, who demonstrated their hatred for the king, when all he did was provide for their joy and insist on their joy. So the severity of the judgment is meant to get you thinking about the nature of the trespass. That it, it actually is that severe. But wait, there's more. 
Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. So those who were invited were not worthy. Why were they not counted worthy? Why were those previously invited unworthy? It's because they violently rejected the invitation to the banquet. So what is it that makes these new guests worthy? Why do they belong now in the wedding hall? Is it because they're good? No, Jesus explicitly says the people who are, they're gathered indiscriminately, according to the king's gracious invitation, they're gathered indiscriminately, both bad and good. All kinds of people are welcome to to enter into the king's festival joy. So this, whenever I read this, it makes me think of this this line from a short story by Flannery O'Connor. There's a short story called Revelation. And at the end of that story, she is uh, sort of has her character, her main character has a vision of the heavenly procession. She's having this vision of the heavens open up and all these people are just going up into heaven together. And she writes this, she writes of battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. Battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs, followed by those marching with great dignity and good order. So the kingdom is a place where all kinds, both bad and good, belong. Where belonging, where being worthy, is not a matter of goodness. It's a matter of responding to the call to repent and to enter into the king's joy. Even bad people, like, you know, in Jesus' day, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, really bad people. They're worthy, whereas the very good religious people are not because they refused the invitation. They refused to come to Jesus and participate in his kingdom, his real kingdom on his terms. So this this battalion of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs gathered from the highways and the byways, they need no second invitation. They recognize a good party when they see it. They recognize royal festival joy, and they want to be part of it. That's what it's like to recognize the joy of renewal that is found in Jesus. You see the deliverance. You see the restoration and the freedom and the love that Jesus offers. And even if it does mean repentance, even if it does mean the death of your old self and forsaking your old ways and humbling yourself before God, it's worth it. It's worth it to have an everlasting relationship with the God of love, to call him your father, to call Jesus your brother, to be filled with his spirit. That invitation is worthy of your attention and your response and your repentance and faith. The reality of Jesus is that his kingdom is like a royal wedding feast. Let that reality define your participation in his kingdom. Not everyone does, even if they hang around the church a lot. So Jesus continues in this parable. When the king came in to inspect, to look at the guests, 
he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So what is going on here? Uh, what is the wedding garment supposed to symbolize? What was, why was this guy expected to be wearing one? Why is that so important? Why does this king cast this guy out into the night because he doesn't have a wedding garment? Uh, you know, let's remember the overall thrust of this parable. Jesus is talking to people who think they belong. They presume they belong. They feel entitled to belong in God's kingdom. And yet they don't belong. They don't really fit because the reality of God's kingdom has not defined their response. The reality of what God's kingdom is like has not defined their participation. Some people might hang around the church, but the reality of the kingdom hasn't defined their participation. And there's a disconnect. The reality of the gospel never sinks in, and they demonstrate that they don't belong at the royal wedding feast. And the evidence for it in this parable is, is visible in their lack of proper attire. You know, this guy didn't put on his party clothes. He didn't put on his party clothes. He didn't pay attention to what was happening here. He didn't appreciate what was happening here. He apparently didn't really want to participate in the royal wedding feast. If he had truly been excited to be there, he would have dressed for the occasion. Simple as that. So this garment isn't, you know, it's not about doing good works so that you belong at the party. We've already clearly established that both bad and good people are welcome at this party. The garment is very simply about your attention to what's going on, your interest, your actual participation in what is actually happening here, right? The kingdom of heaven really is like a king celebrating his beloved son and inviting us into the celebration. It really is like a royal wedding feast that includes you, believe it or not, filled with battalions of freaks and lunatics hopping around like frogs. Every preparation has been made. The king has given his best, the body of Jesus given for you. The blood of Jesus has been poured out for you in order to bring you into the festival joy of God's presence. Does that even get your attention? Does it even register? Does it interest you? Do you believe it? Are you gladdened by it? Do you want to be part of that? Are you moved to actually participate and celebrate? Do you need a second invitation? <clears throat> Does the reality of Jesus and his kingdom mean anything to you? Does it awaken anything in you? Does it change anything for you? Do you wish it would? Do you believe that it can? Do you care about the gospel at all? Do you want to be where the gospel is proclaimed, where Jesus is known? And Jesus is praised where God's life and love and joy fills you up. Because if that's not interesting to you, the king will show you the door. And that way is outer darkness. Be warned, apart from believing that what, what Jesus teaches about his kingdom, there is no possible joy. By comparison to the joy of knowing Jesus, any other joy is only out of darkness. 
Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. All kinds of people are called. All kinds of people are invited to the party. Only those who take that reality seriously demonstrate that they belong there. Don't get this wrong. You don't clean up your life in order to get into the party. You repent and rejoice because you've been brought into the party. But that repentance and that rejoicing has to be real. Jesus has come. He has known you. He has loved you. He's laid down his life for you. He's opened heaven for you. He's brought you to, as the writer of Hebrews says, he's brought you to innumerable angels in festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn in heaven and the, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Jesus has welcomed you into the festival presence of God. That is what transforms you. That is why you repent and rejoice, because you take that reality seriously, because you believe that good news. And as you do, then you demonstrate that God has, in fact, been at work in your life, and he's not only called you, but he's chosen you in his love for eternal life. Your perfection is not required in order for you to belong in the joyful kingdom. You just need to come to the party as if you're coming to a party. You need to come to God as God, as he's made himself known. You need to come to Jesus as he really is. You need to come to the kingdom on his terms. And that means your repentance and your faith and your joy. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, fix our eyes on Jesus. Make your son and his kingdom real to us. Make us alive to you and interested in a relationship with you as you've made it known to us in Christ. <clears throat> Make Jesus our, our greatest hope and our greatest delight. You've rescued us from the outer darkness of existence apart from you. We pray that you would keep us in the light of your love by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.